everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. In today's episode, we start with a discussion around Top Gun Maverick and why this film, in particular, feels like a breath of fresh air compared to other sequels. So many sequels over the last decade lack the essence of what made the original film's massive successes and that have shaped our culture. To some, the criticism we have of other films, like Star Wars, may seem harsh, but for many people, the stories have been ingrained into them. So when you get a highly anticipated sequel that the viewer's imagination has built upon over time, the filmmakers almost have no hope of meeting those expectations. But doesn't mean it can't be done. To illustrate the essence capture idea, I'll turn to another foundational character, Spider-Man. The most recent film, Spider-Man No Way From Home, is an equal part sequel, but also taps in a nostalgia of past Spider-Man films. But what sets it apart is the nostalgia isn't only done in fan service, but also serves the characters in the story. The story honored the past Spider-Man and gave them a sense of closure from their original films. Telling a story isn't about power dynamics or some fractal in time, but hints at something universal to our human experience. The story of Peter Parker resonates with us not because we know what it's like to have spider powers, but because we can relate to the sense of overwhelming responsibility and stumbling through our lives. Bringing this back to Top Gun, the film works for many of the same reasons above, but it was not the sequel we wanted, but it was the sequel the story Top Gun deserved. The bonus is that the filmmakers cared enough about the story to make it as immersive as possible, no matter how difficult it was to capture. Modern CGI is a great tool, but capturing real F-18s in a camera will always be a more visceral experience. To that end, I will pass this off to you, the listener. What are your thoughts on the current state of Hollywood? We are under the impression that we are on the edge of a creative renaissance. We are rediscovering how to add meaning to our stories and hopefully leads to a world that is less cynical and apathetic to our current state. And with that, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this conversation on Top Gun in the state of Hollywood. Bam. All righty. Honestly, Joe, this has been a long time coming. We haven't really talked, at least online, in this long time. And I feel like there's more than enough to talk about just with everything that's been going on in the world and with what we've been exploring. So, man... It's honestly a little bit of a struggle to where to start because <laughs> there's been so much going on. Uh, yeah. I think for me, the most interesting place to start for right now, because it'll spin us off into a whole bunch of different directions, because this is just more like general fun, but we could start with Top Gun because it was one of those films that for both me and you, we really didn't have too much experience and it's past our age group to have been exposed to the original Top Gun too much, but to see the new film and still live up to the expectations is pretty freaking amazing they had a lot to live up to to begin like set the stage for this thing the original top gun has a huge following lore yeah military and especially in the flying side of the military various kinds it seemed to be pretty highly anticipated yeah for that it also was coming out in an era of and of endless reboots yep. and remakes and basically leeches on the general American nostalgia of the moment. Anything that's nostalgic will sell. It seems to be the case, but also seems to be the mindset of the executives in any place. So it's produced a whole bunch of films that are just mediocre at best, hardly live up to 
the originals, the Jurassic Park films are an example. They yeah. turned into CGI show off things. It's a circus to show off what you can do with CGI. It's not doesn't have the wonder of the original ones. It's not really the point. Same goes for Ghostbusters and so on. Much of it is a rather lame attempt and brazen attempt to exploit the nostalgia of the audience at the moment. So in addition to that, in the lead up to the film, people found out that there was pressure from the CCP's to the Chinese Communist Party's censors to remove the Taiwan patch from the back of Tom Cruise's jacket. In the original mm. first one, he had on his flight jacket and he had a Taiwan flag patched onto the back of the jacket. There was pressure to get rid of that because they have a one China policy there in, in the CCP. So they believe that Taiwan is a part of China, but Taiwan does not believe it's a part of China. And in fact, Taiwan really fled was anti-communist group uh, fighting the communists that were pushed all the way back to Taiwan and then set up their own nation there as the communist party took over China back in the day. So they hate <laughs> the communists. <laughs> yeah. So depending on who you ask, Taiwan is or is not its own country. So that and the, if you ask the Chinese, say, yes, it's definitely part of the, of our nation and you have no right to show their flag because their flag doesn't exist. They're not their own separate nation. Yep. It should be a Chinese flag, if anything, on, on their back. So people were concerned about this too. This is also going around, going on around the same time that John Cena, for example, accidentally said that Taiwan will be the first nation to see his new film and then had to absolutely shamefully speak in Chinese a apology to the Chinese people, the CCP, for daring to say that Taiwan was a country. He let out a public apology in Mandarin. He spoke yeah. in Mandarin doing this. It's like, what? This is so embarrassing. Uh, John Cena, for all the muscles he has, still has no spine, apparently. It's crazy. That's <laughs> Go ahead. That's the era right. that people were very concerned about. I was concerned about coming up to the film, and there's a big part of me that thought, oh, great, this is just another fucking cash grab. Yep. How many uh, sequels have you known that have been done at this point like at this point we're all jaded <laughs> the star wars these new star wars sequels were horrible exactly they were absolutely god-awful they were an embarrassment to the they actually insulted the old films they went out of their way to take the characters from the original films and debase them yeah they've deconstructed all the things all the characters that made the original stuff great are no longer really there right and it just shows you the lack of concern or care, even a seeming vitriol and hatred for the originals by the people that made the new ones. And I think that this is, a, this, is, this is definitely a symptom of the era that you have these deconstructionists going into every film and ripping it apart piece by piece and pretending that's a creative act. No, it's a destructive act. And is, I don't have a problem with some amount of deconstruction, but it has to serve creation it's yeah. you're loosening things up so that you can rebuild it in a new way not just breaking it apart and leaving it on the floor it's like taking a piece of like a something you make out of legos and then breaking it all apart and say look at i did something new yeah but without putting it back together in new ways it's pseudo creativity <laughs> it's a complete con confusion about what creativity is they think that subverting the audience's expectations 
is somehow akin to genuine genius or creative genius yeah. or something new or original. And it's not. It's I, Anyone can do it. It's not hard to, okay, what do you expect to happen? So, oh, okay. I Oh, the hero is going to get his father's sword. And when he goes to pick up his father's sword, oh, it turns into a banana in his hand. <laughs> it's a banana. Now it's a banana. Have you ever seen that before in a film? Nope. But, oh, look, I subverted your expectations. My God, look how genius I am. And so they just do this thing time and time again. And I was expecting that could happen again to Top Gun. Yeah, very easily. I didn't really have much expectation going into this film. I think what really set the tone for me was the, I think it was Tom Cruise and like one of the other producers or directors had a pre-recorded message to the audience talking yeah. these are real f-18s or these are real fighters and real g-forces this is real stuff and i'm like wow that is something in today's filmmaking environment yeah. this is going to be something different i think and you could tell there's a certain love for the original in the audience a respect for the audience that's there and one thing that i really liked about this was that the chinese pulled because the chinese were funding the film yeah, that's what I, I looked at this after the fact. I didn't realize this. Now, they pulled their funding because it was too pro-American. Ironically. And I don't think they're showing it. They're not showing it at all in China for that reason. And it still made an inordinate amount of money. Thank God. Because that, coupled with the latest two Marvel movies, the new Doctor Strange film and the new Spider-Man film, made a stupid amount of money, neither of which were shown in China. So that's, I think that includes a billion dollars for the latest Spider-Man alone. Yeah. Thank God, because what these three films are showing is to the studios is that you can make a ton of money without it being in the Chinese market. That gives you leverage against Chinese censors. I think it's because great. I think it's a great message that finally, that if you just make a good story, and don't have to kowtow to whatever message you're trying to kowtow towards. Because even Doctor Strange got pulled from China, too. And if you've watched Doctor Strange, there's not a huge amount of American messaging in that. But apparently there was like one scene with a newspaper from like a one of the multiverse planets that had a Chinese character on it on screen for like a couple seconds. And it was negative toward CCP. And they're like, nope, can't run, our can't run your film. And that's not even remotely right. American, at least not near in the same vein as Top Gun is. And it's, there's no, they're moving the goalpost at every point. And so there's no point in even playing their game because all they're trying to do is just say, look, we have leverage over you. Yeah. It's all a power play. It's bullying. Yeah. All, it's how much can we get them to do? Like how, just where's the line with these people? And really, I think they, that some of these people just get off on making these studios do what they tell them to do. It's, it doesn't even matter. The reasons don't matter. Like Whatever the rationale is that thinly painted over top is bullshit and totally besides the point yeah. is to get you to submit. And, and that they get to, they like that you have to submit and that, that they know that they're making you submit. It's this playground bullying, but just, at the pl upper political level. Oh, I just wanted to hear you watch you squirm in your seat or jump these hurdles because I told you to. Yep. 
It's like, look, I can make the rat run through the maze. Yeah. That's the thinking. And giving these studios who are so just empty, vapid, <laughs> without any principles whatsoever, it's, it is money at, for all, money all the way down. They, there's no recognition that, for example, they'll change their logo to a rainbow in the United States. Oh my God. And then ever and pretend that these are the values that they care about. Disney will even get involved in the politics in Florida for certain bills and not recognize that the countries that they're kowtowing to are nowhere near where the United States is when in regards to civil yeah. rights for the LGBT community. So it's a you're perfectly willing to kowtow to a regime that is ostensibly antithetical to the to your principles okay that suggests to me that you have no principles that you're just playing the market and it's embarrassing disney's embarrassing all these people that were willing to play this game to me should be ashamed of themselves john cena has no balls none as far as it was the most embarrassing i've no i've lost all respect for that man all of it when you effectively sell your soul to appease a country that has no respect for you. <laughs> hey, what a plus. You really think you're offending the Chinese people? You think the Chinese people are going to care a word about what the fuck you did? <laughs> Get out of here. Because the CCP censors wouldn't allow the controversy to enter the country because they don't want their people to think there is a controversy. Oh my God. Their people believe <laughs> that it, Taiwan just is a part of China. So in, to introduce the story into China, that, oh, Westerner says that Taiwan is not a part of China. They go, wait, why would they think that Taiwan is not a part of China? So you don't even do that. It's not about the Chinese people. It's about <laughs> making him bend. <laughs> and he, oh, and God. He bent. he bent over like a bitch. <laughs> like, ah. And I know this gets you riled up. This is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up. Especially too, to me, when I look at a film like Top Gun, those are the kinds of things that inspire generations, right? It's like when you watch stuff like about the space launches or whatever, like how many people watch those things and say, I want to work with those things, either becoming a pilot, which is obviously the most like easiest jump. But what if you don't become a pilot? You could become an engineer. You could become any number of things associated with these ridiculous feats of engineering that move our culture forward. And I think that's what China is most scared of, though is the cultural export that films like these yeah. push on people or inspire they, people. And it's not just that they're afraid of inspiration. I think that they just want the pure economic leverage. They mm -hmm. want, so TikTok, for, here's an example of something that they're doing. TikTok in China, the algorithm is designed such that it promotes engineering, the STEM fields, interesting scientific stuff. Okay. That tends to trend way better on Chinese TikTok, where it, the Western and U.S. TikTok is set up so that sexual, stupid jokes, humor, these kinds of things yeah. are the trend. I, and they're doing I that intentionally. The, the sexy dancer trend is like going around right now. They are trying <laughs> to encourage our population to aspire to be that. They are trying to Weird. make our aspirations vapid and not competitive in a global market compared to them. They're wow. doing this intentionally. <laughs> That's for, that's crazy to me. I, so I, I, I don't know if I'm getting too old now, but I've avoided TikTok like the plague. 
<laughs> I'm not sure if that's an age thing, but part of it is I don't want China to be in control of any sort of data that I might be producing for the most part. And in addition, it's okay. So why then would they not want a film like Top Gun to be made? Why would they want things to be just blockbuster the way that Marvel is moving where it's pretty shallow? Because for the same reason that you'd want the TikTok, you would want TikTok in the United States to provide vapid aspirations. You don't want people to be inspired in your enemy country to improve and do better and to be competitive on a global market because you're in competition with them. You want them to be a lazy, lethargic, empty vassals that mimic right. human. It's divide and conquer, right? Like it's like age old, like let the enemy be beat themselves before you even have to engage in direct conflict. You want them to be a husk when you show up. Yeah. Or you can just flick them and they crumble. That's what you want. And thankfully, the Top Gun, the new Top Gun, didn't bend. It the it stayed pro-American, or at least too pro-American for the Chinese censors and Chinese censors and funders, whoever the producers were. So they pulled their funding, and then they made the film that they wanted to make. They put the Taiwan patch back yep. on on Tom Cruise, and it was an incredible film. It was great. It was one of the best films I've seen in a decade. It didn't feel like a film that was made in this decade. It was a genuine sequel. It wasn't a reboot. It wasn't a remake. It wasn't a sequel for the sake of playing on nostalgia. It had nostalgia in it. It had nostalgic things. But the nostalgic things were nostalgic things to the eyes of the characters who had aged in the story, in their world. Oh, damn, you nailed it. You just gave me goosebumps explaining it that way. Characters <laughs> were nostalgic. They weren't making, they were going, hey, wait, remember this? Remember when that happened in that wait, movie you liked back then? It wasn't just audience, like, for the audience. It was also for the characters themselves. It's like when Tom Cruise, there's one scene, it's early on, this isn't spoiling anything. When Tom Cruise is in a bar and he hears great balls of fire playing on the piano, this brings back memories from the original one. It is a callback to the original one, but it has significant, it is a significant part of the theme and the plot. It's useful to the story. It fleshes out the characters. It's not there for its own sake. And it's done there with emotional, like pure emotional background. Like it was honest. It was an honest film. Oh, yeah. I I could say for almost everything that's coming. Almost everything. I know. It's what's crazy to me is a film like this. And so from what I've done, like some research after the fact, just because I was interested, that this film was like written and rewritten for a couple years. Like I think 2016 was when they started doing some of the stuff on the background work of this. And uh, they actually reached out to one of the best, he might be what you can consider the closest thing to the real Maverick, David Burke. They reached out to him to go over the script and basically talk about what they did. Was it actually real? Like all the cockpit stuff and like just different things and to try and just ground the film as much as possible. Obviously, you just suspend your disbelief. It's not 100% accurate, right. but it's still better than nothing. And to me, that's like, I think that's awesome that they were humble enough to go straight to the guys who were going to know what it is that they were trying to and even if it goes a little bit too far and the details don't really hit with an average audience, we're still going to get the feeling of, oh, this feels real. This feels right. like what pilots actually go through. 
and keep in mind too, they did that in part. This is how they respect the fan base a lot. They did that in part because a huge part of the fan base and the lore and everything, like I said before, is within the military community who knows the details. Right. Exactly. <laughs> this is a, this is something that happens all the time when some whenever somebody plays there's a military movie and with any kind of military stuff, you better get the uniforms because the military will rip mm -hmm. you apart. Like the number of films that come out and they're like, what the hell? Look at his, his he's got ribbons on there that don't even like he couldn't have gotten that. <laughs> what are you talking about? He was in Korea and he was in the most recent war. How old is this guy? He's <laughs> like this or, oh, wow, his haircut is totally out of regulation. He cannot have that haircut. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like this. And they just it's lazy. Shit. It's lazy. Mm -hmm. They did do that. In fact, they made a point to put in little details in the film. In the cockpit of the experimental jet in the very beginning, there is a little skunk that is a reference to skunk works, which was like old school CIA. It's, it's the exact type of engineering crazy new technology that would be making and doing using and testing this kind of plane. That's a real thing. Like Skunk Works is a real thing. They would be the guys who would be testing that kind of plane. Yep. So they paid <laughs> details and they put a little reference, a sly little reference to that. And those, it's like the wink and a nod to the. If and no one in the audience is, no layman is going to notice this. No. But there's going to be some people in the military who are going to be like, oh, that is so cool. And they didn't have to do that. Here's but they a did it because they clearly liked the movie. They liked the audience. They respect the family. Yep. This is never, I didn't feel pandered to. No. At all. And that's what most films nowadays feel like pandering. Yeah, because it's made by subpar writers who are being intruded upon by corporate interests the mm -hmm. whole way through. That you give this to Kathleen Kennedy and everyone at Disney, and you think that Star Wars gives a the new Star Wars, you think Disney gives a shit about the quality of the story or the lore, any of this? No, they took the lore that had already existed and they said with just a wipe of their hand, they went, none of it's canon anymore. Oh my God! They got that contract. They went as soon as they bought the rights. They went and ooh, they can't waved it all away. And I think it was <sighs> the three worst Star Wars movies ever, and that's including the prequels, which were not great. But the least they gave a shit. They at least tried to like they added something to the universe. Is what I say. Like now, with, like looking at everything in comparison, it's if you try to do anything, especially if it's in a world that's like Star Wars, you have to do something that isn't just parallel to what's already been done because everyone's just gonna be like well it's just the original but the original is better so don't waste your time yeah yeah and it's so much worse because it doesn't respect its it doesn't respect its own character there's no character arc for ray ray comes out perfect comes out perfect. she just out of the womb perfect wow she's so good with the force oh man she can do all this they have no values like the film it's those films don't actually understand what a star wars film likes what is it that we're oh valuing and the what is the moral of a star wars story they have no idea and they're totally incoherent they have no idea what it's like they don't give a shit because at the end of the day it's about making a bunch of money off those fat neck beards that we don't like ew wow they really don't like their audience do they that is it, <laughs> yes that's my impression because if they did they wouldn't have played this game i think that they i think that some of these people despise the idea of star wars i think they resent the that a lot of these creatives now resent the idea that somebody could have created this i think they look at the old star wars films and they go 
God, it's so, it's such a trope. It's so, it's just the hero's journey. We've done this a thousand times. I could do better. It's not fair that the things that I've made haven't succeeded as much as Star Wars. I could do this. And then they create things and it never succeeds like Star Wars did. <laughs> don't understand what the fuck they're doing, but they're amateurish, arrogant, and stupid enough to think that they could actually do that or that it's unfair that Star Wars did it and right. they didn't. And so they go in to write the Star Wars movie and they rip the old thing apart. They even say in the second film, they even say in the second film, oh, we have to kill the past. We have to let the past die. You're killing the old Star Wars. That's what they're talking about the whole right. time. It's meta because these people <laughs> aren't really creative. They can only comment on the things that have already been made. They have no originality of their own. It's all references to itself. They don't, it's what bothers me about a lot of these things. It's like, they'll see what works the first few times, right? Like just using Star Wars as our example, or we can even talk about T Top Gun. But Top Gun is like the first example of this in recent memory that has figured it out. And it's, they haven't distilled the essence of what is the core of what it means to be a Star Wars story. Because if you look at the differences between episode four, A New Hope, and episode seven, the new, the first one, if you just look at them like side by side from each other, they're almost carbon copies of each other. Just one is you, one is like you just took an impression of Star Wars and then you shade over the top of it and you get the rough outlines. That's what episode seven is like at the broad stroke because you got all the quote unquote story beats of the original. So what they're saying is, oh, if you just put all the pieces in there and just shake them up a bit, that is what makes Star Wars. And you could tell that it has no heart because they think that what makes like... Ugh. How do you even, what is an, I'm trying to think of a metaphor for this. It's like your grandmother makes you lasagna on a Sunday afternoon. She cooks it for you. Takes all day. Takes all day, puts it together, sits down, the family's there and you eat together. And this is a meaningful thing. And then somebody, Joe Schmo comes around and he microwaves some lasagna shit that he got frozen in the supermarket and he throws it on your plate and he's, isn't this just as good? They're both lasagna. <laughs> They're both lasagna. It's the same stuff. It's, oh, that one had a Death Star. We have a Death Star. <laughs> that one's got lightsabers. We got lightsabers. So, oh, maybe you're an idiot and you missed the entire point. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe you're just so stupid. And they, it's not like they had to do this either. It, they, if they thought they needed to, okay, we got to make sure that this is a success. We're going to play it safe. We're going we're gonna to just carbon copy the old Star Wars to make sure that we still make our money off of this because this is a big investment. So, okay, I can understand this sort of, you're feeling it out. You're not really sure how this is going to go. But you don't have to do that. The Star Wars fan base is so rabid that you could easily oh my God. Go, have gone any direction and you would have made an inordinate amount of money. Yeah. But the direction you chose to go was the one that treats its audience like children that doesn't understand the heart and soul of Star Wars whatsoever. It's totally uneducated on myth, which is what Star Wars is, is fundamentally, it's a myth. And then <laughs> it, tries to, it actually tries to tear it down. It intentionally, especially in episode eight, tries to break up Star Wars. It tries to end Star Wars as if it, it mocks the old films. It makes Luke into a buffoon. Who doesn't? Who gets his sword? Greg, he gets this important, meaningful lightsaber. Oh my God! And throws it over his shoulder like it's trash because that's the that is the feeling that these writers and directors had for the the original Star Wars films. Anyway, oh, it's trash. Throw it over my shoulder. The amount of disrespect is appalling. 
Like, and they deserve every bit of insult that comes their way for the trash movies that they created. Trash. Oh, your Magic Legion Sword? Let me just throw this over my shoulder because it's insignificant. <laughs> oh, you're telling me that the symbol of the old films that meant so much to people, that resonated with people over the years, that has become a part of our culture for decades now, that has been something that has been passed down as a as something like a cultural story from generation to generation for years, is trash? That's how you're going to treat it? You're going to treat it like that. And you think that people are going to like it? You think that you're not going to catch flack for this? It's it, What hubris, what obnoxious hubris of these intellectual husks, these empty, pathetic excuses for creatives. They are they, All they can do is simulate. They just simulate, simulate, but they never make anything original. And bears. They, Lucas, even with the prequels in his belt, could stand on top of every one of them. It's so embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's I've done so much extra reading on the Star Wars stories, or at least learning about the people behind the newest version, or I guess Disney Star Wars. And the more I like go deeper down this too, the more I get vitriolic, like you are. <laughs> like it just drives me crazy. And you know how much Star Wars has been a core of my childhood. And to see what they're doing to a lot of this is it's like it almost like hurts, like at a at almost like a physical level because you see. It's like seeing something you love slowly get tortured and become something it's not. Yeah. And you don't want it to be that way. Like, you want it to, to go to a different direction, even though we haven't tied up with... T but, like, Halo. Talking about Halo. Um, Halo just had a series released on Paramount+. Plus, and if you were to watch that as someone like us who grew up with the Halo franchise being a cornerstone of what it was to be a kid growing up with video games and having something that's, like, our generation sci-fi thing like the yeah. sci-fi trilogy so to speak and then to see it put on to finally the big screen like this is something probably us if it was at its heyday in our high school we would have gone bananas if it ever would have happened yeah. and, and to see the what they've done to it and just say oh we can do it our own way but we'll make but it's, we'll still call it halo and it's just so wrong and bombastic that you're just right. they took pride and not having known anything about Halo whatsoever. They, they, they said they didn't play all of the games or any of the games or some version. They didn't play much of the games, basically. Nothing. They didn't reference the books. They did. This is they made like a general sense of what the universe looked like. And then they made up their own bullshit. I was like, OK. And you just can't do that with these stories because people internalize them and they have a, they organize themselves in a say, way and there's something that feels right about how you should portray these things. And you can't just start moving pieces around and say, oh, wouldn't it be cooler if you did it this way? No, stop touching with it. It's, someone has the, like a nice hot rod or whatever and it's, why does it got that scratch there? Let's fix that scratch. We don't touch that scratch. Like that scratch has a memory behind it. Yeah, and it's just... They don't understand these types of people that are doing this. Don't understand the function of narrative. Yeah. They think that it's a arbitrary collection of symbols or discourses that are used really just for political power for one group or the other, and otherwise they're meaningless. Yeah. It's all just propaganda in their mind, all of it, for one thing or another. It has no inherent value. I keep seeing a lot of like, comments online about toxic fandom this is like a new thing yeah. people keep saying online and it's what do you mean 
toxic fandom because shouldn't you be creating something because a fan because there is a big enough group of fans that it makes it viable for you to make a thing and to call some portion of your fans toxic is like a slap in the face oh it's such a mealy mouthed weenie way of wiggling out of criticism it's, oh, we fucked this whole movie up. Maybe we actually did a terrible job of this because we didn't take this seriously. We had no respect for our audience or anyone. And when people get upset, you go, oh, they're just toxic. I was like, no, you're a narcissist and you just can't seem to figure out that maybe you fucked it up. And, you, and there's no ownership. There's no taking of ownership of this. They don't like their audience. They don't like the people they're making these films for. So why would they put in the effort? It's okay. You don't care about the originating product. You do it your entirely own way. You actually subvert the original thing that people loved when you're not just mimicking it blatantly yep. and showing the complete lack of intelligence that you th you're pandering to this audience. You, 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 it, and you can only pander in this kind of way when you think that your audience is stupid enough to accept it. So you don't even respect their intelligence. And then when they say that, hey, it turns out that when you're behaving that way, the product that you make ends up being shit. When they point that out, when they start criticizing you, which was it being a bad new sequel or whatever, is an inevitability when you've taken on that attitude. It is inevitability. And so when the inevitable happens, you then blame the audience. You come up with a nice new little propaganda, a nice new slogan. Oh, they're a toxic fan base. Right. What a great way to just dismiss any criticism that you deserve because you suck at making this and you did love any of it there's no love <laughs> in any of it. I, the people that, that want these films to be made that want these shows to be made, they love them they are personal to these people they inspire right. they remind them to be the kind of people that they hope that they can be and you are treating that like shit and now you think that when people are angry at you that they're just toxic no you are a toxic narcissist who can who has to frame the whole world as if you're the hero here and that when you get criticism, then you dismiss it with a slogan. Embarrassing. I think it's and crazy to me. We were always talked about, we always hear in, in like business culture and stuff, like talking about criticism, right? Like always processing feedback. You need to, or do in military or even engineering, there's always corrective actions or deviations that happen and occur. And it's, they, we do all these systems that are set up so that you can take the emotion and the feeling out of it. So that the idea of ever coming at another peer who's bringing back feedback or says something was done incorrectly, it's never to point the finger at someone and say, you fucked up. It's more to say, what in our procedure, why did this mess up? Yeah. And how do we correct for that in, in the future so that we don't do this going forward? And then what are the corrective actions we can take so that it becomes institutionalized so that this problem never occurs? But it seems like to me in the film world, that this kind of like criticism, I guess it's mostly driven by like YouTube and things like that, but it's like, they can't take criticism on the chin and say, well, sorry. All right. Like I don't, I can't even seen many people that have. Here's the opposites, right? When they make the Sonic, the hedgehog movie. Ah, yes. EG looks terrible. That Sonic has these way too human eyes. <laughs> it was really uncanny. <laughs> it looks blacked out kind of. And that was like the original version. And then the audience, when they saw the first trailers, were like, oh, my God, this looks so bad. And in response to that, the filmmakers went back. They said, oh, we we didn't realize. OK, we'll go back and we'll fix it. And they spent a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Time. 
they did probably do reshoots with the new model and everything. Like it would have been, it's a huge amount of money basically to remake the whole film. Yeah, to change the eyes of this one character to make it look not quite so bizarre, to make it look is higher fidelity with the original look of Sonic. And I even the response to that was super positive. I saw people online petitioning, go see this film to tell these studios that when they make these kinds of corrections, they can be rewarded. That's really That's cool. But they're toxic fandoms for giving criticism in the first place, right? Can you imagine what would have happened? Here's what have happened. If they had come out and said, "Oh, great, another toxic fan bit fandom," I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kowtow to their bullshit. The moment that they did that film, would have made no money. Yeah. There wouldn't be a sequel coming out as there right. is right now. That never would have happened. It would have been dead in the water, and it would have been because of their arrogance and their unwillingness. To listen, people want to watch movies of the things that they like. They like the thing. That's they want to continue liking the thing. So you're making it harder on everyone by being an asshole. It's so simple. Like it, we've spent so much time talking about this stuff, but it's like it. At the end of the day, it's simple. Just give people more of what they want to see and do it in an honest way. Yeah. And people will, as the the common trope of it'll put butts in seats, and like even walking out of Top Gun, I was like buzzing. I was like, wow, like the, just the spectacle of it and just the feeling of people who gave a fuck about what they created. Yeah. Right. You could feel it in the film and the characters had feeling. There was genuine sentiment. They weren't like cardboard cutouts of the characters from the original that they're just putting in their places and moving from X to X. <laughs> Of, oh, look, plot is happening. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Here, right? It's not this empty shallowness to just get butts and seats. It was like the characters had a real life and they had motivations and they had hurts and they had, it was fleshed out and had heart to the whole thing. And in that kind of heart, I'm sorry, but I just, especially in this era, it seems that you can't have that unless you care, that you respect the original, that you love this thing. Make your film with love not resentment and bitterness towards the films that came before you or the audience you have now. <laughs> this obnoxious, just entitled attitude of these creators is killing great franchises. Yeah, like it's killing cornerstones of the culture at this yeah. point. Things that have been around for... Spider-Man just hit 60 years as of right now, and I guess Spider-Man is still a good example of one that's working. But you have these basically modern mythological figures that have supplanted themselves as pillars. And somehow in the last 20 years, we've slowly been, we've forgotten what the core essence of them have been to some degree. It's what, what are we doing? <laughs> I guess that's yeah. my thing. It's like, how are we getting this wrong? Yeah, I'm happy you brought up Spider-Man because that's another great example of a film that deserved every cent that it made. It was the best Marvel movie. Oh, 100%. It was hands down the best made. It was the best film. And it, and it did it. It had nostalgia in it, and it had the these older characters and all this, but it respected them. It, it, they grew with the story. That's what blew me away, is giving each of them a moment that they, especially like Andrew Garfield didn't have his moment in his films, and for him to be able to, I got emotional seeing how emotional he got. And was like, oh, damn. What a moment. It, it, because it's, it is meaningful. <laughs> you can't, we're coming out of, I think we're turning the corner on a period. So we've been, 
I've been railing through this whole time against postmodern. It's reified postmodern ideology. Yeah. And that's the underlying framework for this kind of thinking. What does that mean? I understand that's a bunch of philosophical jargon, but it's basically that you don't believe that there's re- that we you have access to an objective world, and so any representation of that world isn't referencing the world. It's just being auto-generated for the sake of your self-interest. That you're doing this for your own power is the way they would say it. But you don't even. It's not even your power in their mind. It's that it's power of political parties or some institution. It's a. It's more like power is a. What would you call it? Like a like the power grid, and you plug into it. Yeah, it's just like a. Back. It's like a pie chart. The more power you have, the more you have control of doing things, whatever that means. And you'll just hear this all the time. But what art looks like in that framework is strictly political. It's that you create a piece of art to be propaganda for the position that you hold. And that's all that art is. It's just a political game. It's part of why these people love the avant-garde, because the avant-garde were like pushing boundaries. and Yeah, it's all about messages you're being sent. It's a form of kind of activism. And so they admire that because that's how they identify. They identify as these activist types. But they don't actually understand anything about art. At all. They have no, they are so clueless. It's nope, wrong again. It's of course, like art is the by, is it's a means of, and byproduct, like the finished product is a by, is a byproduct of the attempted self expression and self understanding, as well as understanding the world and yourself in it. And it's a means of acquiring knowledge. It's, it's working things out. Yeah. It's like the first step of science, in my opinion. It's like you have art that tries to make something abstract or something you don't know how to really articulate in words or with data and you give people a picture or a film like a moving picture and you say here's what i think it feels like or whatever and then eventually you get certain like frameworks where you could use fancy philosophical terms or have hard science behind it to be able to articulate something that's complex or unknown it's a first pass it's there you go that's the great word yeah (laughs) it's it's a like a rough draft. Um, so, okay. And I can give you a really cool example too. There's a German chemist. Uh, his name was like August or so. I have no idea how to pronounce it. He was trying to think of the structure of benzene. And he basically had a dream of the Ouroboros. So the snake biting its own tail. And he went, oh, and then figured it out. And it's these set up similarly, like it's circular or whatever. So Weird. So he had a dream about it first. He saw the image first like an artistic image and then from that image he abstracted and then was able to get figure out the he was like oh i was right on it and then he was able to figure out the structure of benzene wow and it's okay that isn't one example but there's a ton of them there's a billion this is all over the place there's a billion examples of this happening is that the there's an issue that needs to be solved the artist creates an image it generates this sort of dreamlike thing that then helps us get beyond where we are now like the real pieces of artwork for the for any given culture, they will dream past the boundaries of what is known by the entirety of the civil civilization. Yep. And the next will come, philosophers and so on, who will derive from that dream image something more concrete or something more defined, more close to a greater approximation to the reality of the situation we're in. Rising but the artist. 
first. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like sediment. Like when you look at rock layers through like millions and millions of years, it's you can see the different striations in the rock that tell you what happened at these different points in time. Like we, when you look at like where the asteroid hit the earth that ended the dinosaurs, you have very distinct rock layers there. And what you're explaining, the image I would, I'm thinking of is like our philosophical understanding of the world or how to make sense of the world is similar to this, but this is all done cognitively and built upon layers and layers, which is generations of people thinking and experimenting. And slowly but surely we have accumulated, fuck, the ability to talk hundreds of miles away from each other when the blink of an eye <laughs> with video. It's insane to think that stuff like that has accrued to a point that stuff like this exists. Acquired. And the idea that those things were just generated for the sake of something like political power or power is absurd. It's like, okay, so you're telling me that the reason that we started agriculture was for power? Not to stop starving, maybe? <laughs> like, these people are, it's so obvious that these people come from privileged, I say that without, <laughs> with the hint of just to stab them a little bit. I want it to be a little painful for them. Privileged, educated, total, just theoretical people. They all yeah. live in theory. They've never had to work a hard working class job. You never suffered in the kind of way where reality is right in your face. Where it's, oh, actually, the reason that you do things certain ways is because life is really hard. <laughs> having some tools to help you is a good thing. Yeah. And I didn't create a wrench so that I could beat someone over the head with it. I created a wrench to use it as a tool. People are so divorced, but okay, <laughs> I digress. Yeah, <laughs> to pull it back, it's like... Why do we create fire? Like you could easily use it to burn someone's house down, but also it's a really great way to cook your food and you don't have to digest your food as, as much or it doesn't give you upset stomach or whatever reason. There's, we actually don't know exactly why we started cooking food. That's one of the mysteries of humans. But for whatever reason, we cook our food and technology has been a part of our culture forever. And we just get more and more creative with how we use those technologies to tell stories. And yeah. And I think one of the examples that you reminded me of when talking about the benzene example was da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci was at once a scientist and an artist. And because he didn't have the tools to be able to take pictures or do things like we do today, he had to be able to draw things accurately so that he knew how to paint it. And so he was like one of the first anatomists in the world because he would dissect bodies and basically use that knowledge to learn how to draw more realistic skin on different things. He was one of the first people to like understand how the neck muscles overlapped properly. And you could see like they did the different x-ray scanning of images of his older paintings where he had multiple revisions where he changed the neck of this person to show the muscles more accurately over time as he got more knowledge. Uh, cool. It's crazy things like that where it's like, Art isn't just drawing things and creating images. It's a conceptualizing effort. And it's in the, <laughs> there was once a time in our evolutionary past, long before we were anything approximating human, <laughs> where all that we had was something like this dream iconography as, a, as symbols to make sense of the world. It took a very long time to arrive at abstract language and alphabet and symbols like this. And you can trace back the alphabet. It's back to cave paintings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, they, you, they, 
the, there are Chinese characters now, like the Chinese character that's still used in Japan for and in China for tree is just a drawing of a tree. That's amazing. <laughs> drawing of a tree. It's a handful of lines to make it look like a tree. And it's all, that's where the, now the alphabet doesn't resemble anything like a tree because they become abstract and abstract and abstract until they're just, they are just defined symbols unique from each other attached to specific sounds that you can use and alter and play with to create any particular word that has a meaning associated with its referring, right? Yeah. That, that place that are that I, iconic image dream space is the place from which art derives. It's not top down. It's not, I have a bunch of symbols and then I go down and I enforce them on my dreams. It's that my dream arrives and I come to make sense out of it in the process of writing the screenplay. Mm -hmm. But the, these people think that all that it is propaganda, but they think it's propaganda because they think everything, there is no connection to the objective world for these symbols. There's no referent. There's no nothing there. And because they don't think that these symbols have any meaning or can have any reference to the world, then it doesn't have any meaning because meaning is the thing that's generated in a relationship between two things. It's the word apple and an apple. Like the word apple has no meaning. <laughs> the apple that it doesn't exist. It's just a sound. It's just a sound unless it's referring to a physical thing, something that we can, when I say apple, you understand what an apple is and so on. But if the apple doesn't exist, then the sound apple means nothing. But they've removed the physical apple from the apple and word apple equation. And so all their words have no meaning whatsoever. And so every, all of their art has no meaning whatsoever. None of it has any meaning. It's like, and so they can just go around and do whatever they want and they can they think that the fact that people are personally invested in these things, maybe you could say, hey, isn't that a sign that maybe there is a meaning to the stories that were <laughs> at least to the people that were doing it? The meaning is that these stories affect people on a personal level. This thing means something to someone, but they don't even fucking acknowledge that, do they? No, because if they because it, by their worldview they that nothing has any meaning other than what they ascribe ascribe it to be from like a political or just from a power dynamic st standpoint, no wonder they're just willing to deconstruct stories willy-nilly. Because they it's like just tinkering with an engine but never putting it back together. You can deconstruct it all you want, but if you can't put it back together, then you have no mechanical skills whatsoever. <laughs> they have no reverence. Yeah. Because there's no meaning, there's nothing to revere. It's all absurd, empty symbolism. But when you recognize as some of as the films, Spider-Man, like Top Gun, like other films that we have yet to mention, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, we'll have to like, continue that one for another. I think we'll go down a rabbit hole with everything all at once. So yeah, we'll have to continue. Just mentioning them. Yeah. What they, and what Rick and Morty in the later <laughs> seasons recognize is that, is that, okay, we're coming out of this period where everything is meaningless. It's all about power and whatever. So you can deconstruct things willy-nilly and put and recreate it in your own image because there's nothing there of any value anyway. So you might as well just change it in the way that you want it to be. Yep. We're coming out of that period and into a period where we're beginning to recognize, okay, maybe everything is meaningless. Maybe the whole universe is just the multiverse and everything, every possibility is already in existence. It's already happening and all this. So what does anything mean? It's, oh, somebody dies. There's an infinite number of that person. So what does it mean for that somebody to die? 
it means something to me. The meaning is in ex is an experience. Meaning is something felt. It's something that you can find in interacting with the world and with life. And so these stories are there's something like reconvening around that principle that maybe things don't mean anything in some ultimate sense, but they're definitely things that mean something to me. And that, so like in, in Spider-Man, when the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man has his moment, it's everybody's touched by that because nobody has to say anything. He does this action and you can see what that means for him. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if there's an infinite universe, doesn't matter about all this stuff because it me because the meaning isn't found in the infinite. It's found in a direct relationship. It's found in a relationship with things. And his relationships are what are from are the wellspring of meaning. <laughs> and that's that is the turn that we're making. It's, Love it too. It's that's where we're moving. I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about this because I really feel that too. And it's, I've been thinking about the, like the finiteness of human experience and things like that. Like we're not really here for very long. And so it's hard to look at the world and, and be like bombarded, right? Like you go on Instagram or Twitter or anything that has like an open social feed where anyone can voice their opinion or the latest negative news story or crisis is happening. And it, it's so easy to be just like a tsunami wave of just news is thrown at you. And you just look at your place in the world. I'm just a single person and I'm not really going to be able to change any of what the fuck is going on right now. And so your knee jerk reaction is apathy and just say, the world's fucking going to hell in a handbasket. And I think it's a wrong viewpoint to look at. And I think what you're getting at is an antidote to the apathy of young people. And it's, I totally get it, right? Yeah. There's so much information out there. You don't know where to start. It can't have any meaning for you it's too much you can't make sense out of this is wait it's too many things happening all the time for you to go i to think that you can fix any of it but you don't have to that's the good thing there are nearly eight billion people out there working on different problems yeah the problems you have to worry about are the ones that are personal to you the ones in you that are a part of your daily human experience it may be that the problem that is worth fixing in your life is the garbage disposal. You go to put something down the sink and it's not turning on and you're going, what the hell is this about? And you go check it and you say, okay, maybe that's broken. Let me see. Let me call a guy. Okay, he can help you fix this. And then finally you have a working garbage disposal. And that seems mundane. Um, but now your life is made 0.001% easier by having this thing fixed and it will stay fixed for presumably a very long time. And imagine how much time you would be wasting or how much effort <laughs> you would put in over 10 years because that garbage disposal isn't there. Mm -hmm. And you've just freed up that time. You've solved the problem so that you can work on bigger problems. And so maybe the next problem is, oh, the basement door doesn't actually lock. Now that I've freed up the cognitive capacity, like uh, I was spending so much time thinking about the garbage disposal. Anytime I looked at the basement door, I became overwhelmed and said, oh my God, I'm just not going to deal with this right now. And now you've freed up that cognitive space to be able to attend to and have the energy to attend to that door. Yep. And now you go and you fix that door. And suddenly you have a door that locks at the bottom and you find that you sleep a little more soundly at night. <laughs> 
<laughs> and suddenly your sleep has improved. Say nothing about the door that you don't have to worry about. So now the cognitive load from having that door always reminding you it needs to be fixed is gone. And so you freed up 0.0001% of your cognitive capacity to work on other things. <laughs> and now you sleep a little better, which gives you another boost. And, and these things slowly start to compile. You yep. snowball in a positive direction. And eventually, you can get to a place where the problems you're solving are global problems, that you now have mastered things in such a way that you have things set up and designed to fix themselves. Or you might get to a place where now you've, you have become such a master of your own terrain. You become a handyman. Now you have a business. And right. now it turns out that you can <laughs> Next thing you can do is actually feed your family, which is not meaningless by any. Who would say that is meaningless? And that's the game you have to play. It's a slow move. I love it, Joe. And this will definitely be to be continued. And I have to run out the door to go see okay. Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh, no. I know. <laughs> Have a beer. <laughs> I just want to see it for dinosaurs. Honestly, yeah. I, it's for the CGI for me. I don't care about the story, have, so to speak. I have no problem if you go into it. <laughs> that's the purpose. I like if the dinosaurs. Watch the full CGI and whatever. <laughs> that's fine. But if we're talking about the quality of art in our country as a whole, then I'm going to use it as an example to shit on those people. Absolutely. I, Which, by the way, I one more insult for these motherfuckers before you go ahead. If, in fact, we are turning in the direction where we're rediscovering meaning in the things that are meaningful to us in our relationships and interpersonally, and that's going to emerge, then not only are these people vapid, stupid, and nihilistic they're also behind the curve <laughs> so i'll let so there's another one for them. yeah i feel like this is therapeutic for everybody involved <laughs> to yeah. be continued because we got more movies to talk about because we only scratched the surface yeah. on good stuff so awesome yeah. as always fun time and yeah. talk to you soon thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast and as always I'd love to hear from you, and I really just want to make this podcast the best podcast you listen to. Meaning, if there's anything that you really enjoyed or any feedback for us, I would love for you to reach out on the social medias. You can find Feeding Curiosity across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram in the usual places just by searching Feeding Curiosity. You can also send us an email or a message through the website. You can also support the work that we're doing here, including the podcast and all other content that we produce at Feeding Curiosity by either going to anchor.fm slash feeding curiosity slash support, or you can head over to the website and hit the support button and support us directly there as well. By supporting the podcast, you effectively keep us from having to deal with sponsorship and keeping the relationship that me and you, the listener, have as honest and open as possible. As for me, I take the idea of selling products and or sponsoring products very, very serious. Honestly, I just want to provide access to information to as many people as possible with as little of a barrier of entry as possible. At the very least, if you want to do anything to support the podcast, leave a review on the platform of choosing to subscribe, like, rate it, all of that. It helps out a ton. Again, thank you all for listening, and I hope you join in on the next episode.